0: Would you take God's Word and go with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 3 this morning, Genesis chapter number 3. I want us to look at verse number 20, Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 20. We'll visit most of this passage, but... I want to be conscious of the time, and so we'll read at least initially verse number 20 and 21. The Bible says, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. It is Mother's Day, and there's always uh, some amount of pressure that I feel at least to deliver to you a Mother's Day message. And uh, we visit this morning Genesis chapter number 3, and we're introduced to Eve. She's the mother of all living, and I think there are many wonderful lessons that we can learn in this passage, there are many things that we can understand. I. I believe that what I have to say to you is very important. I don't believe it's important because I have to say it. I believe it's important because it is what God has said. And I pray that God would help us to understand some things about the roles of women and mothers in our society as they relate to men to their husbands to their children i'm thankful for my mother and i'm thankful for her faithfulness to the lord and the example that she's been to me and to my children and now to my grandchild we come to this passage and we see eve is the mother of all living we find that god created adam and eve and he placed them in the garden. He designed for them a wonderful place to live, a place of his provision and a place of his protection. He designed for them a wonderful relationship that they could enjoy as husband and wife, also in that relationship to be in fellowship and communion with him. He gave them a responsibility to replenish the earth, to To multiply and have children and that was the responsibility that God gave them and so God designed uh, the family he designed the role of motherhood and he designed it in a way that would bring perfect and complete fulfillment and joy but as we know as we've become familiar with this passage we understand that though he placed them in this wonderful garden It wasn't long before the garden was ruined. We understand now as we look from a vantage point that we have some 6,000 years later, we understand perhaps what Eve did not fully understand, and that was the severity of the effects of her sin and the sin of Adam upon humanity. And ours is a world that is no longer in harmony and and certainly not in any way enjoying the blessings of God in the place that he designed because of the impact of that sin. But ours is a world of chaos, and let me remind you that God is not the author of confusion. But our world is in great confusion. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 1, if you'd like to turn there, I invite your attention there, Romans chapter number 1, the Bible tells us how we got here. How did we get to such troubling times and such chaotic days? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 21, because that when they knew God, when they had a knowledge of God, when when God revealed Himself to them and they had a, a knowledge of Him, They made a choice. That choice was that they glorified him not as God. In other words, they did not acknowledge him. Excuse me. Neither were thankful. Thankful that God would speak to them. Thankful that God would have created them and that God would reveal himself to them. That, That God would intervene in the affairs of their life. They were not thankful for that. But became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You see, when you remove God from the scene, when you deny His existence, when you overthrow or attempt to overthrow His laws, when you decide to live your own way without acknowledging Him, professing yourself to be wise, you shall become fools. The Bible says, notice verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Oh, that's where we live today, isn't it? Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity. Whisperers, verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Paul is describing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is describing precisely what we see happening in our society today. I've noticed one thing about the God deniers. They have no mercy. They have no mercy upon those who do not march and step with their agenda. Verse 32, "...who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them." This is where we are today in a world of chaos. In fact, if you posted a sign... Over our society, this is what it would read, out of order. Because it certainly is uh, out of order. It seems as if we have, uh, all that we have known as a society, it has been uprooted or is in the process of being uprooted. And it has been replaced by what has been termed today as a new Morality. There are now new definitions to old terms. The God-deniers and the secularists of our age have become very apt at taking old terms that we all know and redefining those terms in light of their agenda and their interpretation. And a new morality is upon us in America. And everyone is expected to embrace this new morality. The problem is that the new morality is no morality at all. In fact, the new morality is, is in, in direct opposition and conflict with the law of God. And so we see the ruin of God's creation. We see the garden as God intended for it to be. We see it corrupted today. We see it particularly in the realm of the home. We see it in the marriage relationship. We we see it in in the relationship of of the child and the parents. We see the corruption of the garden as it is taking place in that wonderful uh, arena, that wonderful realm of the home that God designed in the very beginning. As I said earlier, I don't believe Eve had any had really any understanding of the severity, the impacts of her sin, nor did Adam. But now, living in this age, we see it open before us. As we consider Eve the mother of a soul, I want you to see three things. I want you to see, first of all, a mother's sin. And then I want you to see a mother's sorrow. But thankfully, we see a mother's Savior. And so I want you to note these things with me this morning and follow along in the Word of God, if you would. First of all, I want you to see a mother's sin. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, but then enter the devil. Notice, if you would, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. We need to understand the reality of the person who, known as Satan, the devil. He is uh, the anointed cherub that covereth, the Bible says. He was the worship leader in heaven. And he rebelled against God because he decided, as Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 14, Uh, using his own words, Satan said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan could not be satisfied to lead the angelic host in worship to God. No, Satan lifted up with pride, decided that it would be best if he would be the object of worship. And so the original sin is pride, and because of his pride, he fell. And as an adversary of God, an enmity with God, he became the enemy of God's creation, the enemy of man, the enemy of Adam, and the enemy of Eve. And you put your name there, and he's your enemy. The Bible calls him the adversary, the accuser of the brethren. He's a liar. Jesus said, and the father of it, John eight forty four. 44, he is the God of this world, he is the tempter, he is a murderer, and he is a destroyer, and he entered into the garden. And let me tell you, he wants to enter into your life, into your home, into the relationship that you have with your husband, and into the relationship that you have with your children. He's the enemy. And that's why Peter cautioned us and 1 Peter, warned us, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When the Lord saw him uh, in Job chapter number 1, he said, where have you been? He said, walking to and fro in the earth. What is Satan doing? He is, he is scouring this earth, searching every place that he can, looking for an entryway into your life, into your home because he hates you, and he wants to destroy your life. So we see her sin, and we see that in the garden enters the devil. Not only does the devil enter, but deception enters. Satan's tactic is to deceive, and Eve uh, fell prey to his deception. Look, if you would, please, again, in verse number 1, And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden he questioned the accuracy of what god had said by the way satan will always tempt you to question the accuracy of the word of god and notice her response in verse 2 and the woman said unto the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden god hath said ye shall not eat of it neither shall ye touch it lest ye die and the serpent said unto the woman ye shall not surely die Now he leads her to question not only the accuracy of what God said, but the truthfulness of what God has said. Oh, no, 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 that's not right. God is deceiving you. That that word that Adam gave to you that he heard or said he heard from God, that's not true. That's not going to happen. And so he began to to lead her down a road of deception, questioning the accuracy of what God said, questioning... um, the truthfulness of what God said. Now notice in verse uh, verse number 5, Satan continues to speak, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now he's causing her to question not just the accuracy, not just the truthfulness of what God said, but the very virtue of what God has said. He's trying to say to her, Listen, if God was really for you, He wouldn't withhold you from, see- from eating that fruit. If God was really good, and he had supplied all the fruit and all the trees and the whole garden, everything but one could be theirs. He said, if he was really good to you, he wouldn't withhold that from you. And so he began to cause her to question the goodness of God. Is God good? Is God for me? Is his way best? That's the tendency of our flesh, isn't it? And that is the tendency of this age to deceive us and so enter the devil enter deception notice what happens enter defilement notice in genesis chapter 3 verse 6 and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes she she listened to the devil and and she looked upon the fruit and it was a tree desired to be to make one wise she She took of the fruit and and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You see, what happened is they sinned against God. Eve took the fruit. She fell for the deceptive tactics of the devil. She decided that she would rule over her own self, that she would rather be a god to herself than submit to God. And so she took the fruit. And when she took the fruit... She sinned against God. She gave to Adam, who also took the fruit and ate the fruit. They both sinned against God, and immediately things changed. Their innocency was gone. Their sinlessness was gone. The perfect uh, presence of the Holy Spirit of God that dwelt in them departed from them at that very moment, and they were at enmity with God. They they were defiled. But not, not only do we notice... That defilement comes, but notice, division comes. Verse 8, They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. There's division. Now, Adam and Eve had walked in perfect communion and perfect fellowship with God, their Creator. But now, now that they have been defiled, now that they have become sinners, they are divided from God. Instead of embracing God and walking to God, what do they do? They run from him. They hide themselves as if they could actually hide from God. And notice what the Lord says in verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Not because God didn't know. He wanted Adam to confess it. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. There's the confession. Why were you afraid? Because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, I'm... I'm exposed, my, my sin and my shame, I'm exposed. Verse 11, and he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Where have I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And God is holding Adam now accountable. Notice verse 12, what Adam, uh, how he responds to that accountability. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Adam did what most of us all do, right? He blames somebody else. In this case, it's Eve. And so the Lord speaks unto the woman, What is this, verse 13, that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And so here we find division. We find a perfect, harmonious relationship between the husband and the wife, between Adam and Eve, and between the Lord, we see perfect harmony. But when sin comes in, there is division. And now that one that you loved and embrace becomes one that you look at with contempt and animosity. One that you blame for your own shortfalls and your own sin. Division. By the way, have you ever seen a time... In America, where it's so divided, race against race, men against women, I want to tell you what it is. It is a tool of the devil. It is the results of sin. And so we see the devil comes in, defilement comes in, division comes in. Then notice death comes in. Notice in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 16, what the Lord had warned Adam about. In verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And that day Adam died, and so did Eve. Those eternal beings became eternal sinful beings they became they became temporal beings who immediately began to perish because when sin came in God moved out and when God moved out the light of the soul was extinguished and so immediately in their spirit there was death there was death in the soul And ultimately, in the body, they would one day die. This is a mother, the mother of all living. But now she's no longer the mother of all living. She's the mother of all dying. Her sin. Seems like a pretty inspiring Mother's Day message, doesn't it? A mother's sin. I want you to notice the second thing, a mother's sorrow. Because of her sin, sorrow entered in. Notice what the Lord says to the woman in verse number 16. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. But we see here that, Eve, was choo- she was free to choose the actions that she took, but she was not free to choose the consequences of those actions. And so the result of her sin was death and a curse that she endured and also Adam. Adam was cursed in the realm of his labors upon the earth. We read that in verse number 17 and verse number 18. Eve's curse affected her in the realm of her uh, domestic life and her relationships in two areas. Number one, with her children. Number two, with her spouse, her husband. I want you to see that God did not make it this way in the beginning. God did not create this mess. We did. As a result of our sin, we inherited this mess. But had we not inherited it, we would not have seen the need of our Savior. And So we see the sorrow that she experiences. First of all, in relation to her children, the Lord said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. This speaks of the physical, the mental, and the emotional pain or the travail experienced in carrying a child and giving birth to a child and also in the care of that child throughout its life because a mother has a bond with a child that will always remain. Physically, women experience great travail and pain in childbirth. But that pain is alleviated the moment that child is born. The joy of that baby holding that baby that she's carried for nine months. The delight that comes to her heart As she looks into the eyes of that precious child and holds it. The fulfillment that God allows her to experience in that moment. But that's not the end of her pain and her sorrow. Most of you understand that when a woman has a child, after the birth of that child, and the pain has just become a memory, there is an emotional pain. There is a a depression that takes place in the heart of a woman. It's referred to as postpartum depression. There's a bond that is established with that child as she carries it in her womb, and no longer is it simply just a part of her, but now it is separated from her. And that depression is something that she experiences and endures. In addition, mothers then deal with the responsibilities of nursing their children, protecting their children, and caring for them. And I, I, I've learned that that is, that is a, 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 not, not simply a burden, but it is a part of the fiber, the makeup of a mother that never leaves them. They're constantly concerned and aware of the needs of their children and seeking to minister to their children. It's the thing that keeps them up late, this burden for their children, this love for their children. And so this care and this sorrow does not end with infancy, but it continues all the days of her life. The second area of her domestic life that is affected by this curse is not simply in the relationship to her children, but also in the relationship to her husband. Notice what the Bible says in in verse number 16. In sorrow, he says, thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. We see that this is a consequence of sin. I want you to go with me to chapter 4 and verse number 7, and I hope you'll listen attentively, because I think for many this is not exactly what you think it is. This does not permit a man to be some authoritarian dictator over his wife. Uh, The Bible does not teach, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ does not teach that a man is to lord over his wife. That she is just simply there for his physical, emotional fulfillment. The reason that we're in the mess we're in in our nation is because of so many abusive men. The reason that women and men are divided in such a wicked way in which they are today is because of the abuses of men and the sinfulness of men. And might I add, the abusiveness and the sinfulness of many women. And so, because of sin, there is a division that takes place, a divide between a husband and a wife. And he said, your desire will be unto your husband. I want you to look with me in chapter 4 and verse 7. We find this word used again, and I think it gives us insight into what the Lord is saying here. In chapter 4 and verse number 7, God is speaking to Cain. Cain brought the sacrifice of the harvest. He tilled the ground. He brought the harvest to the Lord, but it wasn't the harvest that he was supposed to bring. He was supposed to bring a lamb. Abel brought the lamb, his sacrifice sacrifice was accepted. Cain brought the fruit of the ground, his sacrifice was was rejected by God. And Cain was very angry. Notice the words of God in verse 6, Genesis 4. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. In other words, if you just do what I told you to do, if you satisfy my demands, then you will be accepted. If you will come to me the way in which I am prescribed, then you will be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. In other words, sin is at the door of your life, seeking an entryway into your heart. When you rebel against God, friends, I want you to know that you are opening yourself to the sin and its impact upon your life. Notice verse 7 as he continues, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him, You see, uh, Cain was the firstborn. When, when he was born, Eve said, this is the child that God has promised. But we find out Cain was not that child. Cain walked in his own way, and he rebelled against his parents, and he rebelled against God, and he hated his brother because his brother honored the Lord. And his brother was a reminder of his own disobedience, and so he hated it. And by the way, don't be surprised when the world hates you because you know the Lord Jesus and you stand for His Word and His truth. Our lives as as Bible believers, as, as Christians who live out daily the Christian life, our lives, our presence presents the world with a great dilemma because it brings conviction to their heart. And so there's a hatred. Now Cain was to be the firstborn, but if he's going to be rejected by God, he will not have The position of leadership in his family. He will not have the rights of the firstborn. And that would go to Abel. And so Cain has this animosity. And instead of of dealing with God and and submitting himself and getting right with God, what he decides to do is remove the threat of Abel, and so he kills him. But God said, if you just do the right thing, Abel will gladly follow your leadership, and you will become uh, the, you will have all the rights of the spiritual leadership of the family of the firstborn. You see, God is a God of order. God is a God of authority. And so God established this. But because of Cain's disobedience, because of his disobedience, he was not going to be the leader. Now, we take that same text back into Genesis chapter number 3, and we see here what is said, that God says, Thy desire should be to thy husband. In other words, because of the impacts of sin, uh, it is the role of the woman, the wife, the mother, that she is to submit to the authority of her husband. Now, I want to tell you, that statement alone is is one that the world views with great hostility. And you hear the term patriarchal thrown around in such a disparaging way but i want to remind you who established this order god did and i also want to remind you why we're in such chaos it is because of our rebellion against god and so we find here that god gives this order not only do we find that her desires to be to her husband she will long for him she will also long for his loving authority But at the same time, she will also seek to rebel against Him and to rule over Him. But God said because of that sinfulness, because of that division, He will exert Himself and He will take the position of power. Not a very bright picture, is it? The results of our sin, the consequences of the curse, If we read through the book of Genesis, we're going to find many women who were impacted by that. I want you to think of Sarah, left unprotected by Abraham. The Egyptian king, the Pharaoh, saw her and said, I think I'd like to be married to her. I'll take her into my house. And Abraham would not stand up and say, that's my wife. Because he was afraid, he said, that's my sister. She was left unprotected, though God did deliver her. Here she is waiting for the promise of a son, no doubt dealing with doubt, dealing with disappointment, and and at one time scheming to make it happen, then living with the consequences of that choice when she chose Hagar. And what about Hagar, the handmaid, who had no say in the situation? She was forced to marry Abraham and give birth to a son, a son that would later be despised. What about Hagar? We know that God pursued after Hagar, and God revealed himself to Hagar, And God provided for Hagar because God is a God of love. I want you to think of Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, also left unprotected. Living in a divided family. Living with a husband who would not take leadership. Living with a husband who would not follow God's word. Who was determined to make Esau the recipient of the birthright when God said he won't get it. Think about Leah, unloved by her husband but God gave her children. Think about Rachel, her sister, loved by the husband, but had no children. And eventually we read that Rachel died in bearing a child. You see, we see this curse as it's lived out to its fullest in the book of Genesis. We see the sin and the sorrow of Eve and her daughters. But I want you to see last of all A mother's salvation. A mother's hope in the midst of all this darkness. A mother's joy in the midst of all this sorrow. And there's only one source for it. There's only one place it can be found. It can only be found in Jesus. I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15. The Lord is speaking here not to Eve, but He's speaking to to the devil. He is speaking to the serpent. He is pronouncing his judgment, his curse upon the serpent. And in the midst of it, he utters a precious promise to poor and needy sinners. Verse 15 I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here we have the imagery, the picture of a child that would be born to the woman. And that child would encounter the serpent and with the heel of his foot deliver a crushing blow to the head of the serpent and kill the serpent. In the process of delivering that blow, that serpent would get a bite in to the heel of the son. Jesus Christ is that son born 2,000 years ago, born to a virgin girl named Mary, a spouse to a carpenter named Joseph, the promise was fulfilled. Jesus, the Son of God, lived the perfect righteous life. And by the way, if you study His life, you'll see His treatment of women and how He loved them and how He cared for them and how He was forgiving and merciful and gracious to them. How He gave them hope and salvation. How He gave them joy in the midst of despair. Jesus was made to be the sacrifice for Eve's sin and for all of us. He did so by His death upon the cross. He suffered our sin and sorrow. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 that He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. Jesus Christ bore our sin on the cross of Calvary and He died freely giving His life for us. He arose on the third day and He imparts to all who will believe on Him eternal life. He's the answer for mistreated women. He's the answer for abusive men. He's the answer for disrespectful children. Jesus is the answer. I want you to go with me. We're closing Ephesians chapter 5. In this passage, we're going to find that Paul will address mothers, husbands, and children. Not not very much unlike us. Living in a world of immorality and wickedness and abusiveness, he writes to these Christians. And he says to them in verse 18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The moment you receive Christ as Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, if you're going to be a believer in this world, you're not going to be drunk with wine. You're not going to be participating in the feasts of Bacchus with the rest of the Ephesians, drinking yourself into some stupor and some state of unconsciousness. Uh, No, you are not going to be filled with wine. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And only in the presence and the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit may we have what God designed for us to have as husbands and wives and children and parents. That's the only way that we can experience the true blessings of God as we interact in our daily lives with our families, as we're filled with the Spirit. Notice in verse 22, God deals with this this curse in verse 22. Wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Find your place of submission. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. The problem in most marriages is not that wives will not submit. It is that men do not love their wives as Christ loved the church. No, men love themselves. And because of that, they're cold, indifferent, and they mistreat their wives. But God said if you're filled with the Spirit, you will love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for. It's not about you, sir. It's about Jesus. It's about your wife. It's about your children. Love them. Lady, dear lady, if you have a husband who loves God, that's a gift from God, submit yourself to his leadership. It doesn't mean that he's a dictator. It doesn't mean that you're going to cook and clean for him around the clock. It doesn't mean you're going to carry his slippers to him. No, it means you're going to follow him, and you are going to walk together in this life and serve God. Notice chapter 6 and verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. How do I do that? Only, only can I do it in the power and the presence and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment. Friends, I want you to understand this morning that the only way, the only answer for the trouble in your life and the trouble in your home, the trouble with your husband, the trouble with your wife, the trouble with your children, the only answer is Jesus. The only answer. And listen, you can only deal with your part in that relationship. You can pray for your spouse and you can love your spouse and you can do what God tells you to do, but you can only deal with your part In that relationship and what I'm calling upon mothers to do today if you don't know Jesus receive him and if you know him be filled with his power and his presence and allow God to bring order into the chaos of your life I think of the Samaritan woman taken uh, having been married five times Jesus went to her, and he delivered her. I think of the woman taken in adultery. They they brought her to be stoned, but Jesus had mercy on her and forgave her. I think about the widow of Nain who went to the burial ground with her only son. As she wept, the Bible said Jesus had compassion on her, and he delivered that boy from death. Many of his disciples were women. They came to Jesus, they found the answer. And the mother of all dying, once again, became the mother of all living. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.